What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook, and this week we're talking about genetic testing in a holistic practice. That's a little bit different than your normal interview on the show, right? But genetic testing is something I've been super interested in recently. If you haven't been following along in with my post in the Facebook group, basically I'm kind of obsessed with genealogy and tracing my ancestry. So I recently did the ancestry.com DNA test to help me get some get a jump start or another view into my heritage so that I can really build out the family tree. And what I didn't realize at that time is once you've done that DNA test, you can export your DNA data and there's lots of sites that you can put it on to get different health analysis. So I got super curious about what could I actually learn with this data that I've had tested. And that's why I invited on the show this week naturopathic doctor Benita Perch, who I know here in Hong Kong. Benita has a super busy natural practice here in Hong Kong, and she's also a mom. And I wanted to have her on the show to talk about not only how she uses genetic testing in her practice and what we could be looking for if we want to run the test on ourselves, but also just how she lives and works as a wellpreneur. So how is she able to have a busy clinic and a home life and her kids and still have time for a little bit of self-care? We'll talk about that all in today's episode. Now, if you decide that you'd like to get your DNA tested as well, you can do that through Ancestry.com. And because I'm a member, I have a referral code that gives you $10 off and gives me a $10 Amazon gift card. So, you know, you're just going to support my book habit a little bit if you buy your DNA test through this code. And it would be so much appreciated because we can never have enough books, right? So if you'd like to try doing your own genetic testing at Ancestry.com, you can get that at wellpreneuronline.com slash DNA. And if you're interested in genealogy or heritage, tracing your family tree at all, I'd be happy to chat about that. We can do that in our Facebook group, the Wellpreneur Community, where, I mean, I can totally geek out about this stuff. So if you're going to do the Ancestry test and you want to talk more about how to use that, definitely tag me in the group and I'm happy to chat about that with you. Now, as you'll hear in this interview, I'm not an expert in genetic testing. In fact, this was a hard interview for me to do because I don't have enough expertise in that area to ask really intelligent questions. So rest assured, it's a pretty complicated subject, but we're talking about it at a very beginner level because I'm basically learning along with you as we go through the interview. So if you've ever been curious about what you could learn from your DNA and how that might be able to benefit you in holistic practice, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Dr. Benita Perch. Hi, Benita. Thanks for joining me on the show. 
Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you because you're like a blast from my past. We went to college together, to university together, actually. I should say that now that I'm not living in the States. Um, And it just turned out that you are also in Hong Kong. You've been here Mm -hmm. much longer than me. So it's been really cool to reconnect. But let's start off and maybe you could just tell everybody what it is that you do. Sure. So basically, I am a naturopathic physician, which means that I went to a naturopathic medical school in the U.S. I did an undergrad and then I went to uh, four years of naturopathic school. And I am basically in the simplest forms, a GP. So I guess from them, from American perspectives, a general practitioner, but we use that term in Hong Kong that uses natural medicine. So I treat everything from colds and flus to rheumatoid arthritis, to stress, to IBS, to um, ulcerative colitis, however I use it, I treat using a combination of homeopathy, Western herbal medicine, nutrition, and clinical nutrition, so supplements, and then as well as doing quite a lot of functional medicine testing. Mm-hmm. How did you end up in Hong Kong? And that's an interesting story. My father has actually lived in the East, first Taiwan and then Hong Kong for the last almost 30 years. And I started dating my husband, who I actually went to high school with, but I started dating him when I was in my residency year in Arizona. And therefore, at the end of the year, I decided to come back to South Africa and be with him. And we spent a year and a half back in South Africa. But unfortunately, South Africa, though positive in a lot of ways, it's very, there's a lot of crime, a lot of third world and naturopathic medicine, especially there is in its infancy. And I was teaching in one of the naturopathic schools there, but I was just getting really frustrated with where the profession was and what I could do in South Africa and the interest. And then also, I didn't really want to bring a family up in South Africa. So Mark and me decided to make the move to Hong Kong. And he came to work for my dad, who has subsequently sold his company. And now Mark works for someone else. But that's how we ended up in Hong Kong. And we've been here for almost six years, well, over six years now, almost six and a half. Oh, awesome. And I guess that we've had a few wellpreneurs on from different places in Hong Kong. And the wellness scene here has really been evolving. I mean, I've only been here for just, you know, a year and a half. But already I've seen huge, huge growth. Have you seen that? Yeah. Hugely. Like if, when I arrived, when I started practicing six years ago, there's always been interest in naturopathic medicine, but even but from a health food perspective, there was nothing. And now, and I remember trying to get lunch and there was maybe one place in Central that I could get a vaguely healthy lunch from. Now there are so many places to choose from. There are so many health shops. Even your sort of marketplace now has gluten-free pasta and Marks and Spencer's has got a bunch of stuff. It's great. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's still got a long way to go. I just spent a week in Phoenix and that was like amazing. What I, I could. But I had a, my fingertips. But when you go back great. to the U.S. is like Whole Foods. It's like I make a oh, pilgrimage to Whole Foods <laughs> <laughs> and just buying. Like I brought back one whole suitcase of like just healthy food products and teas and all of this stuff. I'm curious because I know Hong Kong seems, and this is kind of off topic, but Hong Kong seems to me like very there's like local culture and expat culture, and I see that like we're all you know like the health movement seems to definitely be happening like in expat kind of world. But if you look at traditional Hong Kong, Chinese culture, mm-hmm. there's a big, I mean, obviously TCM, like, you know, traditional mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, and there's herb shops everywhere and herbal tea shops. Do you see any crossover there? Like, have you gotten involved in any of that? Or do you see locals that are getting more? So I see, yeah. I mean, my training actually included acupuncture and not so much the herbs, but the acupuncture and the theory, but I can't use it here. But I treat a lot of people who are concurrently doing both. Mm. And what we've actually seen is it almost helps to speed healing. So they're doing the acupuncture, they're doing the herbs, and then we add in sort of the homeopathic and some of the more naturopathic stuff, and they actually get better faster, which is interesting. So I've used it more that way as opposed to 
jumping into using Chinese herbs myself just because there's so many people who are doing it who are so better trained than me that I'm like, I'll stick to my world and we'll work together. Yeah. I just always found that so funny when I moved here that literally like herbs are everywhere. Like every block has an herb shop and there's little kiosks that pour this pre-brewed medicinal herbal tea for you. But yet, like the food selection was so dramatically unhealthy. And it was just always really strange to me about that kind of dichotomy. What I find interesting, I mean, yeah, I do say the healthy food movement is mainly among the expat population, but the younger, um, definitely your sort of a lot of, you know, the local population is educated in the UK, Australia, Canada, even America as well. And I would say that the people in their 20s and 30s are definitely interested in health. Mm-hmm. and into yoga and into sort of all the juice cleansing and things like that. But your definite older generation is still a little bit when I'm like, oh, you know, we really should cut out white rice and noodles. And they look at me like, what am I going to eat? Yeah. Um, so there is a definite like shift. But I think, but it is changing. There is, there is a shift happening. Yeah. Awesome. Well, anyway, that's not why I invited you on. What I really wanted to talk about is, and some of my listeners will know this from um, some comments that I've made in our mm-hmm. in our community, I'm super into like genetic testing right now. And actually, I'm coming at it from genealogy perspective. So I had um, genetic testing done there and have been able to like identify cousins around the world and all sorts of like origins and all this cool stuff. And what I discovered was I could export that data from Ancestry.com and upload it to other sites like Prometheus is one that I've used to get medical mm-hmm. insights. And that's what Sorry, I wanted yeah. to talk to you about. And I apologize for having like such little understanding about how this is actually used. So you'll have to explain it at like a pretty beginner level. But I so wanted to talk to you more about like how you use genetic testing in your practice. So can you kind of give us sure. just a quick overview of what are you doing with that? Sure. So I, I mean, I use two companies at the moment. I use a company called DNA Analysis in South Africa, who have a couple of panels. They have a DNA health panel, which is the one I use a lot. They also have a DNA diet and a DNA exercise and a DNA estrogen. The reason I chose that company was there is a woman in South Africa who's actually doing her PhD in nutrigenomics. And she was the one who helped set up the company and has chosen a lot of the genes used. So they're very careful in the sense of what with some of the companies, they just throw a whole lot of genes at you. Um, and not all of them have been that well researched or that relevant or something that you can actually do something about. So why I really like the test I use is that all the genes have been chosen based on the fact that there's quite a lot of research to back up and that they're all genes that you can actually make changes for the better in health. The other one I use, I do sometimes get people to do 23andMe, mm-hmm. um, especially, and this is mainly because of a more the cost factor than anything else. And then I run it through programs. I use Ben Lynch's program strategy in quite a lot because that gives me a lot of the genes I'm interested in. And also he's chosen to do ones that, again, are well-researched and you can do something about. Um, there is There are a lot of like genetic de- genie, there's Prometheus, but a lot of them give you a whole lot of information and not all of that is that useful or relevant. Mm-hmm. And where why I use them, I use them a lot in a lot of my complex cases. It's really useful to know, especially from the methylation perspective or from the detoxification perspective, from the glutathione genes, where where is the person starting from, from birth? So if I know that they don't methylate well, they don't detox well, and now they've got this chronic health issue, it really helps me to kind of guide, well, where should I be looking? Firstly, I need to make sure they start to methylate properly, and we can talk more about that later, and they start to detox properly. But secondly, I'm more, if someone's missing two glutathione enzymes, and they've grown up in Hong Kong, and they've eaten a lot of local fish, and, you know, they've breathed the air, then pretty much I'm going to go look for heavy metals because I can guarantee they're going to have high 
lead and mercury because they haven't they're missing glutathione enzymes mm. so it can be really really useful from a just a clinical perspective of guiding what's going on so i know some people have like a lot of hesitation or maybe even fear around like peering you know raising the veil on what's yes. what's happening in their dna and feeling almost like oh well then i'll know that i'm going to get Totally. in the blank scary disease you know so what's your take on that how do you talk so that i guess that? that's why I, I choose the tests that i do because the ones that i use are only genes that you can do something about right so meaning that like because you have these certain genes you're predisposed to act this is how so your let's body say works, but... the apo e3 e4 the apo gene so the e4 gene is quite substantially good research that you have a high chance of cardiovascular disease and of Alzheimer's. Okay. So that's quite a, you know, a piece of information to hear. However, it is a gene that is incredibly susceptible to change in diet. So if you move to, you know, take out saturated fats, eat a lot of veggies, move to a Mediterranean, more of a Mediterranean based diet, um, for someone with APOE4, then the risk is sort of minimized. So I come from the fact of well, knowledge is power, right? So if I know that at age five, and I was speaking to one of a, a sort of a 12-year-old patient the other day who's quite mature, and she actually wants to do it because then she can make decisions from such an early age with her health mm-hmm. to know what she really should and shouldn't be eating. However, I work with an MD who is open-minded and integrative. However, she is quite reticent because she's like, well, does a child need to know that? But I'm like, well, I don't know. I come from the knowledge is power. And if these are all genes that you can shift and change and do something about, why wouldn't you want to know that from an early age so that your whole life you can guide towards, you know, not getting disease? Right. I mean, yeah, in a way, like that's kind of what you do by looking at family history anyway. Like you'll yes. say, oh, there's breast cancer running in my family. So okay. then you decide how to modify your behavior. But you never know if you inherited those genes. And this way, I guess you can say, oh, look, this is actually what I'm predisposed to. So yeah. let me, but these let me are, I mean, these type of genetic testings are, and that's the important word, they are predispositions, they are epigenetic genes. So it doesn't mean because you have them that you're going to get it. Right. That's really important for people to know, right? It's just... It's very different from that sort of like the BRCA gene and the genes that, you you know, for breast cancer, where if you've got it, you know, your the percentage is really high and then you make sort of much more difficult decisions. These are genes that are predispositions. Right. So... Okay. And so... A lot of what I read about genetic testing for health is about methylation and detoxification. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of, I think we're all familiar with the idea of detox, at least in the like popular sense, but methylation, can you kind of explain to us what these things actually mean in the body? Sure. Yeah. So methylation in its simplest form is a cycle in the body that is responsible for making something called SAMe. SAMe then will donate a methyl group, which is a CH3 to over 250 enzymes in the body. And those enzymes are involved in mitochondrial function, in making neurotransmitters, in detoxing. So if your methylation cycle doesn't work well, and you're not producing enough SAMe, then those 250 enzymes in the body are not going to work properly. And what that means, where your methylation cycle cannot be working properly is, is, is in v- different areas within the cycle. So the one gene that has been studied a lot is the MTHFR gene, which is responsible in a very simplistic form from converting folate from an inactive to an active form. And then folate then combines with B12 to then make methionine, which then makes SAMe. 
So the MTFR gene, there are two um, genes that are well studied, the C67, I never remember offhand, and the 1298. So there are two genes that you can sort of have a good and a bad. You get one from your mom and you're one from your dad, and you can either be too good, one good, one bad, or too bad. And depending the genes then, you function at a different level. So if you're heterozygous, it's about 30%. And if you're homozygous, it's some percentages have even said you focus on like 70% less of being able to convert the folic acid to the active form. So then you have a holdup at that part of the cycle. And then you move on to combine with B12. And then the B12 part can have the two genes that we look at, MTR and MTRR, where you can have def- like issues there as well. So that further slows up the cycle. Then you get to methionine. And then if your mitochondria doesn't work well, you don't make enough SAMe. And there are a few other genes as well that you can look at in the methylation cycle. So it's quite complicated, but it's incredibly useful information. And, you know, one of the big things that the methylation cycle does, the SAMI does, is to then go and make DNA. So in women, and 40% of people have methylation issues. So a lot of women who have chronic miscarriages, it's because they're actually not making enough SAMI to then make sufficient DNA. And one of the simplest things is just switching to taking folate in the active form, the 5-MTHF form, as opposed to folic acid, because if you can't convert folic acid, you're taking all this folic acid, but it's not making a big difference in the body. And that unmetabolized folic acid can actually cause problems as well. Wow. So there's a lot. Yeah. Methylation is a very complex. So what are the types of, like, what kind of, what would people be experiencing? I mean, I know you mentioned about miscarriages, but like what other kind of, of um, a lot of present chronic with? A lot of chronic fatigue, so a lot of energy issues, concentration issues, um, like foggy brain. Um, if they're not, because a lot of it, as I said, is detoxification issues. But even it can, it's interesting with methylation. It can affect so many things, like even gut function, so IBS. Hmm. Because if you, you know, IBS to me is is a term. You know, it's just a syndrome, and, and it means you've either got food intolerance, or you've got gut dysbiosis, or you've, you know, stressed out. But Again, methylation could be the underlying, you know, part of the problem with sort of having gut issues. It can be part of the underlying problem with having immune issues, depression, anxiety, ADHD, all of those things can have autism even. Almost all the kids that I treat with autism have methylation issues. Hmm. Wow. And that's something that, I mean, it's just relatively recently we've started looking at that and that seems to provide like so much more. You actually get to see what's happening in the body. Like, are totally. we able to use the supplements we're taking? <laughs> totally. it's, yeah. To me, it's shifted so much because, you know, it enables me to really target what supplements a patient really should be on. But also the one thing it's brought in is that realizing like all scientific studies, so many of them are worthless because we're just studying on a whole population. But if we have all these people with different genes and how those genes actually present, mm. you really should be studying stuff on different genotypes. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. to see how that presents. So actually all these studies are pretty useless because we're not differentiating them based on people. Oh, that's so, yeah, that's so interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. What what about the detoxification side? Is that mainly detoxifying heavy metals or is that- All, all sorts of things. So, I mean, methylation, so detox, phase two in the liver, there, there, I mean, there are a whole lot of different ways that you detox. So methylation is one of them. The other big one is glutathionation, which is using glutathione, which is your premier detoxer. And there are a bunch of genes that you can test for that. There's sulfuration, which is another form, and you can test some genes looking at how well people do that. 
I'm trying to think of glucuronidation is another one, but I haven't seen that much from a genetic perspective looking at that. So all of those, we detox heavy metals, we detox solvents, we detox, you know, PCBs. We, there are so many chemicals that we're exposed to on a day-to-day basis that we have to detox. Mm-hmm. And if you have any issues with your detoxification ability, especially living in a city like Hong Kong, very quickly you're going to end up with health issues. Right. Okay. And so just to be simplistic, so basically through the genetic testing, you can tell if you're not, mm-hmm. if your body isn't able to detox these things. And then you could, what, provide supplements or different types of things? Yes. To, like- so, so different. So one of them is supplements, definitely getting people on sort of the active form of B vitamins or maybe providing glutathione directly. Diet, obviously, is a huge aspect as well. And then changing lifestyle too. Mm-hmm. Like and I met some Hong people, Kong. Yeah, I know. And sometimes <laughs> it is. Like I have had a couple of patients where, you know, you do your DNA and they've been sick and they actually, they make that decision to leave Hong Kong because yeah. truly they not, their bodies would never cope well here. Yeah. However, I don't think that it totally, I've, I've got enough people well living here, but you have to be a lot stricter. That's what I've seen was interesting with practicing in Hong Kong where People have to be much more stringent with their diets and their other things if they've got issues going on than they would be maybe if they were living somewhere else where the pollution wasn't such a big factor. Mm-hmm. So if people are listening that are, you know, kind of interested in this idea of genetic testing, it seems to me this is something you'd want to work through with a practitioner because it is very technical. Yeah, very. I think you could get lost and almost it could cause a lot of anxiety if you kind of get a test back. Like I don't, sometimes I will email people ahead of time before their appointments and then I get these emails. Oh my God. And I was like, no, don't worry. It's not, you know, so I think it's not something you want to kind of do. Some of it is interesting, like the ancestry and stuff, obviously that you don't need a practitioner. But I think when you start to get to some of the health things, it's definitely worth going through with someone who knows what to put you on and where to go. And also a lot depends on symptoms as well, right? You can maybe have a methylation issue, but because you live a certain type of lifestyle, it's never even been a a part of the problem and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be a part of the problem. So it has to be taken into context of where you are in your life and your current health, etc. Yeah, I have to say there's some pretty fun things, though, you can get from it. So like I uploaded I uploaded mine to Prometheus, which is one of those sites. Honestly, it's overwhelming. Like it basically just runs. It says it runs your genes against like all the latest research. So you get back hundreds and hundreds of data points that most like I didn't understand most of them and they're not relevant but there's some funny ones that come in there so like for example I am slow at metabolizing caffeine which I already had figured out because if I drink (laughs) coffee after lunchtime I'm up like all night but I was like oh huh it's not just me being crazy like it's Mm. actually my genes and other things like I don't turn red when I drink alcohol and I have normal body odor smell (laughs) yes so I think, you know, for like, there are some fun things that come up too, yes. but then there's also a lot of like more serious stuff that you serious definitely stuff. want to work exactly. through with a practitioner. Yeah, totally. Cool. So is there anything else you want to share kind of about the DNA side or testing or? Um, I'm just sort of some of the other things that you can look at. So you can see your cardiovascular risk, you can see your um, risk of sort of insulin resistance and diabetes, osteoporosis risk. So that's very interesting for women. The detox, you can look at inflammation, which is really interesting because I treat a lot of autoimmune disease and most all of them have the genes that push their bodies towards inflammation. Oxidative stress, you can look at, as you were mentioning, some of the small ones like caffeine and lactose intolerance genetically. Not a single one of my Asian patients so far does not have that gene. Wow. Mm -hmm. So literally the entire, every single person I've tested so far, no one can actually has the gene for actually digesting lactose, which has been really interesting. Mm-hmm. So there, there's so many aspects that's so useful on so many levels. 
Cool. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I'll put all the links in the show notes if people mm-hmm. want to try to get themselves tested. But also, like you said, like look for a practitioner locally that you can work through the data with. I'd love to shift gears a bit, Benita, and talk a bit sure. about uh, kind of you and life and especially like as a, you know, really busy naturopath, as a wellpreneur and a mom, um, mm-hmm. how you manage to get it all done. I don't like this idea really of life balance, right? I, I, I'm not sure about that <laughs> concept, but how about yeah. self-care? Right. I know in wellness, we can't run ourselves ragged and expect to be counseling our clients and patients on how to (laughs) have more self-care. So what do you do? How do you manage to stay? So I'm a a schedule and a a list writing freak. So that's one of the things that helps me hugely. So I have scheduled in like my personal trainer. I have scheduled in a yoga lesson on my schedule is very clear what time I finish. Are there afternoons that I finish earlier so I can spend time with my sons? I have a one and a three-year-old. There are mornings where I start later so I can go to yoga and maybe get some errands done, even within my schedule because I run our practice as well. I'm managing director of the practice together with seeing patients. So I've like Monday, Wednesday, you know, I just do admin. The rest of the days I see patients. So that's really, really helps me a lot so that I'm very much you know, keeping things in their boxes so that when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. When I'm with my patients, I'm with my patients. When I'm working on IMI, I'm working on IMI. And I'm not trying to do all of it at once Mm -hmm. because then I would just fail at everything. I think a lot is also accepting that I'm not going to be able to be perfect at everything I do. And that's okay. Because if I'm doing it 70 to 80%, that's pretty good. Totally. And I think there can be so much guilt, right? Um, And I'm not a mom, but I know from my mom friends and I've just interviewed somebody from the Shameless Mom podcast that's trying to help moms get over guilt. I know there can just, you can just feel like you've never, yeah, (laughs) it's never good enough. And also I I use my own medicine, right? So homeopathy has hugely helped me. Um, I, you know, my little one is still not slept through the night. And so the only reason I am going is I use homeopathy. I am on a really good multivitamin. I take my vitamin D. I take my fish oils. I take adrenal support. So I really use my own medicine. Um, I'm gluten-free. I'm dairy-free. I'm sugar-free. I'm refined carb-free almost as, as much as I possibly have control over it. And all those things make a huge difference because I'm taking the stress of my body in other areas because I can't control the fact that my child wakes up at night and the fact that I have a busy life. So is that balance or is that just working within what I have, but I have, I have a blessed life and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. So. No, I think that, I mean, that's, that's why I don't really like the term about like Mm-mm. work-life balance because it's never perfectly balanced. I think it kind Not. of swings back and forth at different Certainly. points in your life on your priorities and what's going on. And I think, Certainly. Yeah, you just need to, I, I like what you're talking about because you're basically using your knowledge and wisdom that you would use mm-hmm. with patients to optimize yourself so that totally. you can be present in all mm-hmm. areas of your life. That's really cool. I'm wondering, and it's okay if you don't, but do you have any like rituals or routines or just little things? Like some people will have like a morning routine that they do every morning or like a little ritual where they take like a little tea break sure. in the afternoon or anything to kind of, you know, self-care so, in that sense. I'm going to say the, my one vice in life is coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the one thing I can't give up. I love the taste and it just really well agrees really, really well with me. And like the way I cope in the morning is, I mean, I live in Hong Kong, so my life is probably easier than some moms. Um, I'm with my kids and then, you know, my nanny arrives at eight o'clock and we all sit down and we have breakfast. And while I have my breakfast for that sort of 15 minutes, I get my Kindle, I have my cup of coffee and my breakfast and I sit and I enjoy it. And that is one of the big things that helps me to start my day because I just have that 15 minutes that even though my kids are there and I'm with them while they're eating breakfast, 
it's just my little time. And then I read at night, usually for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, once I've got the kids to sleep mm-hmm. every night. Reading for me is one of my huge, I guess, yeah, it is my outfit. It's one of the things that really, really helps me because I go into a different world and I'm using a different part of my brain. I don't tend to read. I mean, obviously I read stuff at work all the time, but I tend to read fiction and brain candy stuff. And my body really likes that. And my mind really likes me that. Too, so that's I one of the that. things that I use, huge, use hugely to keep balance. I find it so much more relaxing than TV because TV, yeah. you kind of, I mean, I watch TV too, like Netflix box sets, but yeah. then you kind of zone out and kind of become totally. a zombie, which you need sometimes. But with reading, it's like you're really transported to another totally. world. So totally random. But do you have a, <laughs> a favorite book or two you could recommend? It's all right if it's fiction or it can be health or whatever. I'm trying to think of what I've read recently. I, I mean, interestingly, one of the book club books we just read recently, I really enjoyed, which was about Hong Kong, which is The Expatriates. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It was really good. Really interesting awesome. book. Yeah. I just wrote that down. Um, I'll put that in the show. That was one of my recent ones that I was I really, really enjoyed. From a kind of spiritual perspective, one of the books that I've always loved was The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Have you ever read that oh, book? No. Uh-uh. That's a lot of chords stuck with me from that book. And then I love Brian Weiss's stuff, all about past life stuff. I find that stuff really interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, like, wait, is it like Lives Between Lives? No. Is it yeah. that one? He's yeah. written a couple of books. He's written a couple of books, and those are really fascinating to me as well. Fiction stuff, I mean, I read a lot. I read a lot of, I read, interesting, my two favorite topics, which I don't know what that says about me, is like dystopian novels. So I read a lot of the ones going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the kind of, and then I read a lot of um, World War II books as well. So I read The Lavender Keeper recently, which is a really good book. Oh, cool. Oh, I'm so glad you shared some fiction because usually people will like give me some business book or something, which is fine. But like, it's nice to have fiction and just get no, you know, I love totally. fiction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, we've like run through 30 minutes already, which is amazing. So how about like if there's anybody out there because everyone listening is is working in wellness or studying mm-hmm. to work in wellness. So, you know, if you could go back to when you were just starting to be a naturopath, like maybe still in school or just starting out, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, wow. I guess the biggest advice that I would be is just not to be so hard on myself. Mm. You know, sometimes I would maybe not do something, even though I may have, because I was a little bit scared that I might not do well or not take someone's shift because they were a bit more scary. And I just feel like if I look back, I would just tell myself, learn everything you can. Don't, don't, yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't worry so well about what the outcome is going to be. Just jump in and do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Good advice. Seriously, you learn by doing, not by sitting around mm-hmm. thinking about it. Yeah, totally. absolutely. Cool. Benita, thank you so much for being here. So if people want to get in touch with you or check you out, what's the best way to do that? I have a personal website, which is www.perch.com. And then a lot of information is on our my practice website, which is imi.com.hk mm-hmm. as well. And then I think I also have a Facebook page, which is Benita Perch ND which I post interesting things that I come across all the time. So people can like that as well. Awesome. And we'll share all those links in the show notes so people can get them. So thank you so much for being here, Benita. It's been really great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. As always, you can get all of our links in the show notes, which are available at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you're curious about getting your DNA tested, I totally recommend doing it through ancestry.com because not only can you download that data to get some health analysis, but also 
You could find out tons about your heritage and where you came from and maybe even connect with some distant cousins. So if you'd like to do that, you can get $10 off the Ancestry.com test and I will get a $10 Amazon.com gift certificate, which helps feed my book habit. Thank you very much. So you can do that at wellprinteronline.com slash DNA, which will take you right to the place where you can buy your own Ancestry test. Okay, that's it for me this week. I'd love to chat with you about this week's episode or DNA testing or genealogy or any of this stuff in our Facebook group, which is called the Wellpreneur Community. Have a fantastic week, guys, and I'll see you back here next week with our next episode. 